2: we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A T L A S S I A N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more.
0: Shouldn't you be at work?
1: It's a lovely jib! Oh, it's a brilliant goal! From Lance Bohemond! Still, it's not away. Southgate shot. Milosevic scores. I could do with a bit of magic from him. Maybe this is it. It is Andy Sinton from nothing. Brian Roy has headed for his interlead.
2: And what a goal from Daniel Barkley.
1: No power on it whatsoever, but Saiby has made a horrendous error. Now, you know him better than anybody probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, oh. He has a, no. No.
2: Hello and welcome to Quickly Kevin, Will He Score? It's Series 7, Episode 2, the Jamie Redknapp Special is here. I'm Chris Go, and joining me, my co-host, Josh Whittacombe. Hello. And the man who's so obsessed with the 90s, he still believes Peter Schmeichel is good. It's Michael Marden.
1: (laughs) For fuck's sake, hello. (laughs)
3: It's it's astonishing um, how many goalkeepers we're slaying. I think, I mean, I don't want to make big claims, I think We've really, we've led to a revision of whether Peter Shilton was good. I think now it's, it's widely considered that Peter Shilton's whole international career is moribund and uh, void because of what we uh, have said about him. And Peter Schmeichel's, I fear, is going the same way. Not on my watch. Not on my watch. David Seaman is sweating at home, imagining what we're going to say <laughs> about him. Um, how have you both been? Good. I mean, last week was
2: such a week of revelations. The Platy scoring that goal, well, well, you know, well, even well, further well. Hold evidence. Hold that
3: there. Hold that there. We will be coming to that. Well, firstly, we want to thank everyone who uh, signed up to the Quickly Kevin Fan Club Patreon. We've had um, far more people than we'd anticipated. Thank you very much uh, to everyone. Uh, we have another... I mean, that was a big, exciting announcement last week. Go to com slash Kevin, But we have another exciting announcement. Should we have the same music?
2: Sunday, 25th of October at 8pm. Sunday night extravaganza. Quickly Kevin live is coming back. Last time we did this, we trended Zoom. on Twitter.
3: On Zoom. on Zoom. In your own hands. We, we have been reading the news. Let's be very clear on that. <laughs> this isn't in person. yes it will be on zoom um like similar thing like we're using zoom like you would use hoover it is the brand but we mean the concept
2: uh live show 8 p.m till 10 p.m the guests will be tom crane and matt ford it will culminate in another big championship manager Game, and of course, we will be responding live to your correspondence. If you want to join in with the fun, have a look on our social media. There'll be links there to buy a ticket, but you don't have to buy a ticket, Josh, if you're signed up to our Patreon.
3: If you're signed up to your Patreon, all of these Zoom gigs are free. We're planning to do three before Christmas. What we are planning to do here so we did it before when we had Ellis James against Tom Parry uh, at the height of lockdown, which is both of them choose a team, we interview them, we deal with your correspondence. Uh, we trend on Twitter and then uh, we play out Championship Manager game. What we're going to do, we're going to have the ultimate tournament of Championship Manager 97-98 of our favourite Quickly Kevin regulars. Each in turn playing off in four quarterfinals, semis and a final over the coming months. So that is uh, seven Zooms that it will take to get there. The road to Wembley, the road to Zoombly. Uh, it doesn't really work, but we'll go with it. So um, do... Uh, go to the ticket link on uh, our Twitter and our Instagram, or if you want to go to all of those for free, then you can just sign up at patreon.com slash quickly, Kevin. Chris, shall we have a quick recap of what you get?
2: Ad-free episodes, exclusive behind the scenes and extra audio visual content, fan club only extended episodes with bonus content, early episode release fan club members will get the main series episodes on saturday afternoon instead of monday morning you'll also receive four pieces of quickly kevin merchandise a year free tickets to our live zoom shows the chance to have your name in the opening titles of the show early access to live physical show tickets a free cup of chamomile tea on us and if all that wasn't enough Each month, we will be releasing not one, but two extra episodes only for Quickly Kevin fan club members. The first one-themed episode a month. First up is the return of the Quickly Kevin film club, where we review the Robert Duvall and Ali McCoy's Scottish football film, A Shot at Glory at Long Last. And finally, the big one, the grand reveal. Each month, we are going to do a chapter-by-chapter reappraisal of the Steve Barnes trilogy In full with Ivo Graham and the team picking it apart as they go. Yes, you heard us. We are going to pour over every single page of the trilogy of books exclusively for Quickly Kevin fan club members. And all of this is available now over on patreon.com forward slash quickly Kevin.
3: Yes, that's right. We do go on about the Steve Bruce aspect, um, but there is two extra episodes a month, not just the Steve Bruce one. But one of our choosing, Chris has a very exciting choice for uh, November the 1st. But uh, this month was Michael's choice. Michael, what did you choose?
1: I chose the Robert DeValle and Ali McCoy's Scottish football movie, A Shot at Glory. And I'm going to say it, we did some previous film clubs, uh, last series and over lockdown. This is by far my favourite football film we reviewed.
3: Oh, it's it's actually a genuinely good film. Um, should we listen to a bit of it to give them a taste? Why not? Here we go. We've had a lot of requests for this. Uh, we started doing film clubs during the um, lockdown, and this is the film we got requested most, which was A Shot at Glory, a uh, film starring the classic duo of Robert Duval and former European golden boot winner... Ali McCoyst. <laughs>
2: and I have to say, looking at the, pic- the poster of this film, you imagine it's like what an XJ8 catalogue might look like. It is refined, it is luxurious. You've got the big name on there, Duval. Also Michael Keaton in that kind of void between Batman and his resurgence in Birdman. I- also on Wikipedia, it says Daniel Day-Lewis is in this. Yeah,
3: that's, that's complete bullshit. <laughs> I, uh, Chris, I read the Wikipedia. I went down the cast list. To the bottom, it says Daniel Day-Lewis... And his character name is the one from my left foot. And I don't think that <laughs>
1: I was, was so excited. From that I was, when I
2: read that, I, I read that halfway through watching the film and I was like, it distracted me so much from the film trying to keep an eye out for Daniel Day-Lewis. Also, he's a master of disguise.
1: I have a good authority. He's actually the old tea lady. <laughs> your method four months he spent working in a football club as a tea lady for I,
3: that role. i
2: challenge anyone to watch a film if you're told that somewhere within it daniel day lewis might have a surprise cameo <laughs> you will not be say, able to pay Chris, attention to what's going on
3: is i'd say it's a very modern sign of a bad review is i was reading the wikipedia page half way through <laughs> watching it it's never, it's never well, a good sign. but we should say can we start sorry um, before we get into the film there's a couple of things I should say um, if you want to watch it before listening to this I don't know how YouTube watched it I seem to watch it on Facebook yes
2: I watched it on Facebook did you go in the did yeah. you go in the comments no. oh uh,
3: the first comment so it was just on the full yeah. film was on Facebook I just googled a shot of glory yeah The first one of the first links to come up is someone's just put it on their some Facebook group. Yes, wow.
2: Yes, they did. It was a Rangers fans Facebook group, and there's people have chipped in when they saw pieces of the film being filmed. So as we go through it, I'll point out what some people commented on. Someone chipped
3: in, and the worst thing is it went straight over Peter Schmeichel. (laughs) (laughs) Too soon. No, so is, is that is that purely for the
1: uh, the non-Patreon listeners, Michael? We're going to find out, aren't we? Sort of inception level, Peter Michael jokes within jokes within <laughs> jokes.
3: Um, so we should start by uh, if you can go and watch the film and then come back to listen to this. I wait, or oh, you don't have to. I'm not going to force you. But uh, Michael, should, should we should we have the trailer? Yeah, why not? Mm-hmm. In the small village of Kilnockie, not much ever changes.
0: You should try this new invention, Gordon, called the car.
3: But now
1: it is, of course, the recent signing by Kilnockie of Jackie McQuillan,
3: Scotland's most notorious star soccer player. Oh, unbelievable. Has been chosen to boost the town's struggling team.
0: This guy's going to give us the punch we need, Gordon, to make a run at the
1: cup. Don't you want to win a cup? Teams win the cup, Peter. Not prima donnas reminiscing their past glories. He's brought enough pain to you. little Jackie's father? I thought he was out of my life forever. For God's sake, Dad, you don't have to be stupid. It was me who had his daughter stolen from him, Katie. The truth is that Jackie and Dad are actually more alike than they are different. Great goal, Jackie you say you want to get back together you can't even put yourself together it will go only as far as our hearts
0: and our lungs will carry us
1: this is a real chance for kilnaki
3: academy award winner robert duvall (laughs) michael keaton and introducing ali mccoyst
1: they are all driven stubborn selfish
0: and as competitive as a pack of street dogs those are probably just the best traits this is our shot at glory lads all right all
3: right a shot at glory
0: it's a good thing there's invention eh?
3: (laughs) there that was a shot at glory part of the quickly kevin film club there are extra episodes every month over at our patreon patreon patreon.com slash Quickly, Kevin, we should also say on the topic of Patreon, you might have heard um, one of the worst pieces of commentary of all time <laughs> in, the, in the titles. Yeah. That was Chris, because um, uh, one Patreon member each week will be added to the title, scoring a great goal. We will share the commentary around, or more exciting, we'll try and get professionals, or at least Matt Ford doing an impression of a professional, to put this commentary <laughs> in. Very excited. Congratulations to Daniel Barkley um, on your what a goal. Now Is it time for a bit of correspondence? Come on, then.
0: I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the electronic postbag.
3: You've got mail.
0: OK. I suppose,
3: should I start with bad news? Oh, no. Can Go we have less dormer, please, Michael? This is from Chris Payne. Well, I suppose it's good news in that sense, if you saw the David Platt goal as bad news. Hi. I have an update on why David Platt's goal was disallowed. Ooh. As discussed on the last episode, and I'm sad to reveal that the goal should have been disallowed. I'm not 100% sure, but I think... I'm not a great start.
1: I'm not 100% sure.
3: (laughs) But I think the offside rule in 1990 was different to what it is today. In 1990, if the attacker was in line with the defender when the ball was played, he would be offside unlike today when he is onside. In 1990, the attacker had to be behind the defender in order to be onside. The rule changed in 1992, along with the back parcel to help teams score more goals, which I think we can all agree is finally kicking in at the start of the 2020 season. (laughs) (laughs) Chris,
2: how do you feel? Well, I'd find that a little more believable if a a guy called TM Davidson on Twitter hadn't helpfully drawn the lines out, which clearly demonstrated that Platt wasn't even in line. He's... Um, Oh, he's he's clearly level. I I direct your attention to our Instagram where we've... I did, I
3: saw it. I did it. I I saw it and I'd already received this email and I thought, oh, there's going to be egg on Chris's face (laughs) in a few days'
1: time.
2: I'm just looking at that post now. I can see Michael's liked it. So Michael clearly endorses that he's well on
1: side. I thought he was offside at the time and that's just reaffirmed it. The rules were different back then. And even if they weren't, I think it's marginal anyway. The fact that no player contests it, I think
2: it's is, it is weird about that clip
1: like no one contests it they, they take the
2: free kick straight away but also the weird thing is like, that the german players kind of stop when the ball's played yeah. in it's a really it's a weird goal
3: yeah well it's not a goal <laughs> that's, that's why it's so weird <laughs> so um could i cheer you up by uh, playing you something during the 80s and 90s, there was a selection of adverts from uh, advertising the Cadbury's Boost. These adverts always ended with the same tune. I've attached a link below, which gives you an example.
0: What can fill what the gap? What bites on the crocodiles now? What makes penis shudder trap? It's your Cadbury's Biscuit Boost. The cake biscuit goes down well. The caramel and chocolate taste real swell. Biscuit a great
3: big bite, a giant appetite. Give your snack life. Okay, do you remember it? I remember the advert, mm, yeah. yeah. I don't, I'm not they sure. transport you back more than anything else adverts. Um, during this era, my cousin Carl and I were teenagers and were obsessed with 90s football. One day, my cousin and I were sitting in his living room watching TV. One of the adverts came on. As the one was about to end the advert in a high-pitched melody, my cousin suddenly interjected with his own version. Boost, boost, David, boost. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of guessed it was headed in
2: that direction, but it's lovely to have that
3: confirmed. For some reason, I found this incredibly hilarious and used to randomly sing this to myself. The problem is, over 25 years later, I still find myself singing this every time I spot a boost bar in a petrol station or a corner <laughs> shop. So if you're not excited enough of that, here's the next sentence. Here is a voice clip of my version. <laughs>
1: <laughs> boost, boost, David, boost. <laughs> <laughs> again, again, please Sorry. play again.
3: Okay, here it comes.
2: Boost, boost, David, boost. <laughs> oh, my God.
1: Do you know what?
3: That has done me for life.
2: Man. That is going to do me for life. I'm never going to see a boost bar. I never think, boost, boost, David, boost.
3: You've gone up an octave, Chris. <laughs>
2: You're trying to harmonise.
3: <laughs> um, yeah, I can't, I'm not going to be able to see a boost now. I think now, if you go into a petrol station and you see a boost, if you're a quickly Kevin listener, you should say that out loud to see if there
1: are other quickly Kevin listeners about. You know how Cadbury do those sort of quite irreverent left field uh, adverts. Yeah. If any any ad exec is listening, I reckon you could see a real spike in boost numbers if you got the real David boost to promote <laughs> boost. It won't makes it won't make sense to 99.9% of the population, <laughs> but you'd inherit some die-hard fans.
2: My brother-in-law works at Cadbury. Is that a boost brand? This, this could actually happen. Yeah. Think how happy David Booth would be to be associated
3: with something other than a horrific leg break. Do you know also who I blame for that injury? Mr. Peter Schmeichel. <laughs> um, anyway, we haven't finished. He said, I thought I'd share this with you for two reasons. Number one, you're probably the only people who appreciate it. And secondly, it's another Coventry City connection. To add to the snow. And I know this will please the listener who accused the show of being very stingy on the Coventry City front. Have a wonderful day, Scott Brannan. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Scott. That's really tickled me. Okay. This is from Matthew Pont Hello, love the podcast. We listen to them all the time. Thank you very much, Matthew. I've done some detective work on your suspicions that Terry Smith, ex Chester City manager and owner, edited his own Wikipedia page. (gasps) Oh, yes, please.
2: (laughs) Oh, I forgot about this.
3: And I show my findings below. So it's Terry Smith's Wikipedia page, which we said was edited. So he's copied and pasted. Now, I've never had, I haven't got the technical ability to ever get to this point, but you can go in and see where all the edits are done, can't you? And when and stuff. Yeah. So he's copied and pasted this, but he's talked us through it. We'll put this up, we'll put a screen grab of this up on our Instagram. We can see on the edit page uh, that a lot of the edits were made. By the following IP address, and then he's put it, on March 2018, uh, which was nine months before the Quickly Kevin episode aired, uh, you can do a search on the IP address, basically a unique number given to every online computer in the world, here. And we can see that this is the IP address of Johnson City in Tennessee. My suspicions were aroused. (laughs) (laughs) He's then attached a map. What we'll do, we'll put this on Instagram as one of those things you can flick through all the different um, pictures. So next thing... Uh, to do is a quick google for terry smith johnson city to find out that this is either a big terry smith fan like myself or the man himself the google <laughs> search thankfully came up with a list of candidates and the prime suspect is this one terry michael smith age 60s is almost certainly the real terry smith that matches the info on his wikipedia page age 61 wife sarah daughter shannon full name terry michael smith so with this proof I conclude that Terry Michael Smith of Johnson City, Tennessee, did in fact edit his own Wikipedia
1: page on March
3: 2018. <laughs>
1: wow. I love that. i got nothing but respect for that.
3: That is super. That's exactly the kind of support we're looking for from our listeners, i.e. the kind of people that record the Boost advert or go down what can only be described as a Wikipedia wormhole. Yeah. Sort of
1: terrifying the digital fingerprint that you leave as
3: well. Yes. Um, we should start a feature on famous footballers or 90s figures in general that you think have edited their own Wikipedia pages. If you've seen any, please send in your examples of them. Do
2: you know what? And as well, if we were to launch an investigation, maybe we could call it the
3: Terry Cook Report. Oh, lovely. Lovely. So the Terry Cook Report will be coming your way in the following week.
2: Do you know what? Let's not... Let's not limit it to Wikipedia. If the, the, you want to get the quickly Kevin Hive Mind to investigate something in particular, not obviously not not legal, fairly flippant, like Terry Smith's Wikipedia. Yeah, then let us know, we'll, and we'll send the Terry Cook report in.
1: We'll send the Terry Cook report in. I'd love the Hive Mind to um, create a supercut of Peter Michael saving p- attempts at him getting chipped. <laughs> <laughs>
3: they're, not,
2: they're not miracle workers, Michael. <laughs> if anyone is good at CGI, then do let Michael know.
3: <laughs> Right, footballers' diets. Um, Hi, guys. Love the podcast. I was just uh, catching up with the Manchester United documentary episode, and the mention of baked beans got my memory going. In school, my friend's dad uh, was the England football team head chef throughout the 90s. I remember in preparation of France 98, being round his house, when a large shipment of food was delivered, there were industrial amounts of baked beans, along with mountains of tomato ketchup, and to my surprise, crate after crate, of strawberry and banana Yazoo. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that stuff is so bad for the you.
2: the milkshake. I, don't I, was,
3: I was amazed to see this, but apparently every player was given a Yazoo after training
1: to boost up their energy levels.
3: <laughs> what?
1: <laughs> that is crazy. It's like, I remember in the 90s, in the 80s and 90s, were you ever given a Aid as a kid as if it was medicine? Yeah,
2: yeah I was having this conversation. Remember, it used to be in pharmacies, and that's what really kind of
3: made me think it was like pharmaceutical in but some regard. You've got to remember what it did to John Barnes after 90 minutes of sheer hell. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, thank you to Dan for that food email. The more you hear about France 98, the more of a shambles it seems. Everyone
2: talks about Eileen Drury, but th- what about the fact that the, the players were clearly shoved down one end of the bus while there's like, like crates of baked beans down the <laughs> team bus and like... <laughs> <laughs> strawberry banana Yazoo taking up the aisle. No good, Glenn.
3: I mean, you'd think Glenn Hoddle would be quite a progressive
2: guy. Maybe that was the secret to his, his managerial kind of triumphs in the early 90s. Everyone was off their tits on the Yazoo. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to get in
3: touch,
0: this is how. Get in touch with the show. Email hello at quicklykevin.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at quicklykevin.com And sign up to the mailing list at quicklykevin.com.
2: Okay, now, this was such a success last week that we had to bring it back. It is, of course. Was it? (laughs) (laughs) Come on, mate. (laughs) John Chandler's Island dis has smashed it. Well, anyway, whether it's a success or not, I'll leave that up to you. But here it is it's the 90s o'clock news. Jamie Marino's coat on eBay, maybe. <laughs> Paul Merson furious at Gunnasaurus departure. First bit of news. Helpfully, a listener, after last week, we mentioned that Jamie Marino um, was spotted in a side 10-pin bowling alley with a man-of-the-match Coca-Cola Cup 94-95 bomber jacket, match-worn. And that match-worn jacket has turned up. No, it's not match-worn, is it? But he's worn it after the match. But it's turned up on eBay for only £20. And, uh, reading the description, it could be Jamie Marino's. It could be. It could be. It, it's the same season. It looks similar, and it says, it says in the description that it's been hung in a bar for many years. Yes.
3: So that, I mean, it adds up. It, presumably, they're getting them every, you know, there must have been loads of these jackets. Hence 94, it only
2: 95? Um, well, yeah,
3: because there's, like, loads of League Cup games, and there's a man of match in each of them, Chris.
2: They're, they're, they're turning out jackets. I thought it was just for the TV ones. They're turning out jackets for every game.
3: They can't be, can they? Am I Am I mad? <laughs> Joe, the, the, well, there
2: is a wonderful detail to this. Obviously, that shot of Marino is... Uh,
3: the stitching around the collar.
2: You <laughs> <he> only <laughs> saw the front, but the back has a massive Coca-Cola Cup embroidered football. <laughs> it really <laughs> reminiscent of Alan Partridge's Castrol GTX yeah, jacket. It really <laughs> it's enormous. So if, that could be you. I know, Michael, you're thinking about bidding on this, but if you're, if a listener's interested, just, you just need to type into eBay actual player match-worn-issued man-of-the-match Coca-Cola Cup Liverpool.
1: Well, I have, when you sent that through, I immediately put a bid in on it and I, I didn't know you were going to use it as a feature for 90s o'clock news. So now I'm worried I'm going to get trapped in a bidding war with like <laughs> 50,000 quickly people. So this this episode goes out on Saturday for our Patreon members, early release, and Monday for our main ones. I'm going to try and secure that jacket before those episodes go out. Do you
2: know what? I think the, the auction closes before this episode goes out. I think So you might yeah. be in luck there.
1: Well, that first Zoom live show, We'll see if I'm wearing that jacket or not, won't we?
2: (laughs) How excited. And secondly, on the 90s o'clock news, big news story uh, last week, Gunnosaurus departing Arsenal after 27 years of service. Paul Merson fuming about it on Sky Sports. And there's one thing he said in particular that I thought was worth uh, pointing out. He said, He it's a weird interview. It's on Sky Sports. Do Google it if you haven't seen it. He said, um, he's on about 80 grand a week, Gunnosaurus. And he keeps saying it, but he said a week. What? A and week? He, but it sounded it like it's not a joke. It's like I don't know if he's got... <laughs> in his, he thinks he's saying a year, but he's saying a week. And it doesn't appear like he's joking. But then he goes on to say, think about all those junior gunners. He's a part of it now. There'll be 30 and 40-year-old fans who grew up with that dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> grew up with that dinosaur.
3: <laughs> um, it was very sad. But did you see Meza Ozil paid for his wages? Um, I do worry about Pilgrim Pete now. But um but I don't <laughs> think he's right. on eighty grand a year because that would make him paid similar to some of our lesser paid players, I imagine. So um well there we go. That's
2: it for the nineties o'clock news. If you spot something, do email in hello at quicklykevin.com.
3: Now, so excited to get this man on. It's our first member of the Liverpool team in the nineties, something we've always wanted to have. And let's be honest, you couldn't choose a better one, either as a footballer or as a man. It is the wonderful, the peerless Jamie Rednap.
2: The triangle working nicely. McManaman. There's no offside. There's a real chance, and it's taken by Jamie Redknapp. Our guest this week continues to be one of the most iconic figures of 90s football. Among the first of a new generation of Premier League pop culture celebrities, he combined silky skills with impossibly photogenic good looks. One of the most technically gifted players of his generation, he brought the cop to its feet on dozens of occasions in the middle of a mid-90s Liverpool team known for their flair, both on and off the pitch. It's our (laughs) pleasure to welcome to Quickly Kevin, Jamie Redknapp.
0: Is it someone else? In- I thought someone
3: else. In- <laughs> How does that feel, Jamie? Sum you it up. It was
0: nice. It feels nice with us. I'm. Uh, yeah, no. Thank you for having me on. You and I have spoken about it, doing this a long time, and I'm. I'm really pleased we finally made it happen. So, yeah. 90s football. It's. Um. Brings back some great memories.
2: Yeah. Yeah. What's your. memory like? Just before we get into it, Are you still cognizant? you remember it all.
0: Yeah, pretty good. Uh, yeah, there's a, uh, probably not l- less nights out, but more matches <laughs> I'm good on.
3: Um, now, I should say, what have you, you have got something next to you, which you've just brought up with me, is the first copy of your
0: book. Do you know what, funny enough, this, it, this came hot off the press this morning. Yeah, I, I'm, it's going to be fun because it is a bit about 90s football, really, because uh, it just goes up to, it finishes actually on my, me making my Liverpool debut. Oh, Yeah so a lot of, lot of great memories you know signing for liverpool as a 17 year old and there's it interjects with some of the like legends at liverpool like kenny dalglish has a section there. john barnes obviously my dad frank lampard so yeah it was really good fun to make it and, it, and it, at a time when we're doing this it's it brought back a lot of great memories yeah i them.
3: bet and have you got a pair of sketches trainers you want to show us as well jody i've <laughs>
0: <laughs> not got sketches on today mate <laughs> <laughs> <No
3: sketches. laughs> uh let's go back to those first when you were a kid so were you always amazing at football from the off
0: oh you know what mate? that's a hard question i'm sure my, look, my dad always said um actually in this book he knew from the age of three or four years of age that i, I was going to be a footballer he said it's just the way you passed the ball the way you moved he said yeah you were just and you loved the game you know and, and the thing about it is and it's the same for all of us i think to do something and, and to try to be successful at it you've got to have like a passion and an obsession. Ooh. And I, I have always been obsessed with football. There's not a day that goes by without it being part of my life. I, I dream about it every single night or, and sometimes nightmares about it. But it's just always in my in my mind, football and talking about it. My kids play it. And it's yeah, it's been so good to me as well. Uh, we talked about yeah, your family. Your dad, Harry
2: Redknapp, played football. Your uncle, Frank Lampard Sr., big West Ham legend. Your cousin, Frank Lampard Jr. And your brother, Mark, played a bit as well. So we were saying like, back garden games growing up that must be a really high standard were you, was there ever a game where you, all, you were all playing
0: yeah always I mean <laughs> as a kid I, my, my granddad was a, was a really talented player an argument to say probably the most talented out of all of us his name was Harry Harry Senior and we used to go down to a, they had a caravan down in the Isle of Sheppey. so we used to go down to the Isle of Sheppey every summer during the school holidays and spend six weeks down there You know, my nan and granddad, and he would just start. Kids from all around the campsite would come to his caravan, come to see us and say, Right, Harry, what time's the game today? All of a sudden, the game would start with like eight aside, nine aside, end up being 20 aside. I'm I'm (laughs) like nine years of age, kids everywhere. Frank Senior would come down with Frank Jr., who's obviously a little bit younger at the time. My dad would join him kids from all different campsites, our campsite against another one. And just, but that was what, it, was what it was, and it just, you know, football was always such a big part of my life, and when Frank Jr. used to come down in the summers with, with his family, we'd be out in the garden all day, all day, not just really? practicing, playing, because there's no there are no shortcuts i'm not trying to preach to people but if you want to be a footballer there's not a footballer that we watch on tv they might make out they didn't do a lot robbie fallon might actually be one of the only ones that just had that natural talent and didn't need to train that much but most of them are put in the hard yards when everyone else was was it was indoors or in you know in the dressing rooms getting showered and
3: when you i think you told me before or um that you would go to bournemouth training
0: instead of going to school is that right yeah, I mean, it does sound a little bit bizarre to people, but my dad, one of my friends, we were talking about it, and um, he worked out, I think, so I missed 48 days in a year once. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it, it's terrible, 48, imagine that, I mean, so, but it's a wonder I can't read or write.
3: <laughs> no, Was your mum not annoyed?
0: Mum didn't know. A lot of the time, dad wow. used, used to get in the car and we'd be a li- That My dad's timekeeping isn't the best, and we'd get in the car and he'd go, look, we're running a bit late. Do you want to just come training today? <laughs> and I'd be like, uh, oh, go on then. You know, one of those. I mean, who didn't want to go and do maths with Mr. Tychofsky when he'd go play football at Bournemouth? You know I mean? It's like one of those. So it, it was... I was so lucky. But I'd go... I'd go and I just—I'd either join him at eleven, twelve years of age with the first team, and my dad no. would be like, "Let me join ah. him," and it made me sort of—it you know, certainly, although I don't look at it now, and I don't know if my dad subconsciously thought I'm making a footballer, but he—it went a long way, and that, that helped me become a footballer because I was—I knew that if I trained. And I gave the ball away. It ruined the session. So that was so influential in me. and oh, the wow. wanting to give the ball away. And even if I just had to spend all day getting the balls to the players or just picking up the kit, I didn't care. I just wanted to be around football. I wanted to be a footballer. And it was just so much part of my life.
2: Uh, I think you picked up some injuries at the end of your career. Is that because you were training with the first team of Bournemouth at 11 years old? That <laughs> can't be good
0: for the needs. Do you know what? Joking aside, because I do, you know, obviously the injuries play a big part. I and, know... And Josh and I, we do league of their own together and, it, and it, I get a lot of stick for it. But I do look back and I do wonder sometimes, I remember um, the amount I played as a kid and there was a, there was a I, played for like, I play on, on Saturday, I play in the morning, I play in the afternoon, I trained all the time. I probably did too much as a kid. And there is an argument to say that's why I did because all my injuries, I didn't have like a little muscle injury, Like I, I broke my ankle twice, I, you know, I had about 15 knee operations. So they weren't lit, little injuries. They were injuries obviously when I was developing and growing and maybe I did too too much. So there does come a, a, like another side to it, but there's nothing you can do about that. I don't look back and go oh, you know, what if I had the yeah. most I was so lucky to have done what I did, play for Liverpool and England and, and had the most amazing laugh and times doing it. Uh, and as well, I think people might suspect that you had a really privileged upbringing. But, but you know, back,
2: back when you were a kid, Harry was still a manager at Bournemouth. He didn't have all this Premier League success he got later in his career. Your mum worked in a hairdressers. You had a £3.70 a week paper round, I read. And that, you used to, that if other kids didn't turn up, you'd have to do their paper round. But if that happened, you would wake your dad up and he would drive you around and get you to and help you out on your paper round.
0: Yeah, I was a spare boy. I think that's <laughs> what they called <told> me, yeah. <laughs> I I was, yeah, so we said, yeah, but I did, I know, because dad, when dad was a player, obviously we all think about, we just imagine footballers earning vast amounts of money forever. It wasn't the case. When my dad retired, he had no money. He liked to bet, so I'm sure he, you know, he got rid of a lot of that gambling as well. (laughs) So we, we, he then managed Oxford City, funny enough, with Bobby Moore, not Oxford United, Oxford City, which is a non-league team. And they used to travel up there all the time and that didn't really work out. Then we went over to America. We went to a company, coached in Seattle, coached in Arizona. That didn't really work out either. Ends up coming back to Bournemouth. And I'm not just saying it. We had nothing. I went to, you know, obviously a normal comprehensive school. I was treated like, you know, it's easy to say now, but I I never, although my mum and dad, we weren't poor, but my dad worked hard and, you know, got me everything that I could. It was the best boots that I could possibly have. But I also had to do it because that's why I had the paper on, because he wanted me to establish, you know, good morals make sure I worked hard for everything I get and 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 that's something that really you know I've, I've adhered to all my life like, I think if you work hard you know you get you get rewarded so I, I was very fortunate that, that, that my dad did well at an age as I got older he started when he started became obviously manager of Bournemouth things started to change and then we went from one house to another and all of a sudden then he built a house it was like bro, <laughs> I couldn't believe it <laughs> you know, it was amazing so no I'm but he's worked hard and he deserves everything he gets.
3: Did you, um, and then you signed for Bournemouth. So how does that come about when you, does your dad take your side and say, I'm going to sign you? <laughs> how...
0: yeah, I, well, I'll tell you exactly how it happened, Josh. I was I was at Tottenham. So when I, I signed for Tottenham at 14 till I was Ooh. 21, um, which was obviously a, a contract that you probably was to a certain extent a little bit, but a lot of players did it then because they, I was at Everton as a kid, I was at um, West Ham, uh, Tottenham, and then I decided to sign for Tottenham at 14. They gave me a long contract, two year apprenticeship, two year pro, but then when I got to 16, I just felt, I just didn't see a pathway for me. I saw a lot of good reserve team players that were stuck, if you like, and, and Bournemouth at the time was signing lots of players. So I went to see Terry Venables with my dad and I said, look, you know, I, I love Tottenham, but. I feel a bit homesick and I don't think I'm ready to come to Tottenham right now. I mean, I moved to Liverpool a year later, so that that didn't really work out. <laughs> you know, but at the time it felt a really good life. <laughs> um, and so then, then I said to Dad, like, I, really, I think I can get in your first team and I can then, if in a year's time, hopefully something you know, I can go to a first team. But I want to get some first team experience. I, want to, I can be in your first team at 16 years of age, which really it's a bright Looking decision. Back, rave, yeah, because like kids that were I went to, to be an apprenticeship with Bournemouth that were they, they were like you're mad. You got that you've got the security at Tottenham to your 21 and and, you're, and Bournemouth are giving you a one year deal, but it was, you know, it was almost like balls you just gamble. I just thought right, yeah. I'm going to gamble. I'm just gonna, just, <laughs> I just going to I I can do it. I've got it in me. I know what I'm capable of. And I got into Bournemouth first team. I made my debut at 16 and they had really good People, like, obviously, I was lucky to have my dad as a manager. Like, Tony Pulis was there. Ian Bishop was a really good midfield player. Played for West Ham. You guys will know Bish. So, Sean Brooks was a tremendous midfield player. So people I could really... I could get a lot of what Tony Pulis would ingrain in me in the hard work, determination, like nastiness, if you like. <laughs> and Sean Brooks and the other players had the skill and the guile. So I thought I could learn more there... Rather than playing in Tottenham's youth team. And it was one of the best decisions I've ever made. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But were you doing the YTS stuff like sweeping up the dressing room and washing boots? Would your dad
0: make you do that? Your best time of best time of my football career. Without a doubt, with your mates, you know, a lot of my like my best, I'm still good friends with them now. Dave like, Dave Morris was um, a midfield player. So Dave Morris and a guy called Dean Giddens, both they didn't make it professionally, but good, they good, you know, played non-league and very talented boys. But they were my best mates, so we, you know, we'd train all day, and then we'd, then we'd get jobs to... Uh, John, uh, a guy called John Kirk, captain, he was, uh, like, in charge. He was the foreman, so he used to give us all jobs. You had to clean the toilets, you had to paint the stands. You had to do everyone's boots. I had to clean Luther Bliss's and Sean Brooks's boots. It was all just part of it, and it was... Do you know what? It was the best part of it. Because you were with your mates, you know, you're 16 years of age, you've got £27 a week, but you felt like you were millionaires on that Saturday night, you go in, you know, you have your fake ID and you try to get a Madison's nightclub if you were lucky. I, I always used to forget my ID and I'd give 1973 and, you know, in, in, instead of 72 or 71, you know what I mean?
2: Did you negotiate your contract with your dad?
0: Was that a tough negotiation? Yeah, I, I've got it. Do you know what? I've got it. I'm going to read it to you. I've got it here somewhere. Hold on. So, when I, when I signed my initial contract at Bournemouth, I think the, the, the terms were I got a £5,000 signing on fee. Oh, it's good said, money. I, yeah. So, I mean, that, that at the time. Oh, here we go. So, I've got it here. So, yeah, so I was getting so my basic wage in 1990 um, for the first I'm going to be paid £130 a week. And plus, I got £100 for every appearance in the first team. The play, and, I, and then I got a once and only sign on fee of five thousand oh, pounds.
3: That's good money, uh, though, yeah. for a sixteen-year-old.
0: I know. Well, it, it actually got several up with us. It got better because if we um, if we won the FA Cup, <laughs> <laughs>
1: there was more
0: chance of flying to the moon. <laughs> We got eight grand. I mean, what <laughs> eight million
2: <laughs> <laughs> that? will incentivise you to win the FA Cup for Bournemouth. I
0: know. But if only the they have made it I, ten. I didn't, I didn't care. I was, you know, it made no difference if you were getting that or whatever it was. But that was part of um, money. I didn't play football to think, and I'm not, this is not a dig at modern day football, mm. but nowadays, you, players, you know, it's, the, it's the, all the trappings that go with it, the nice cards everything else, and you know, the, the houses, the cars, the clothes, the watches. When we were that age, I just wanted to be a footballer. I just, yeah. football. I just wanted to play for AFC Bournemouth and put that kit on, and that was all that mattered. Were you living with your dad while he was your manager? Yeah, of course. I was 16. What do you think? I want to go out and live on my own. My mum's a great cook. Really? <laughs>
3: and so were you you like going home and was he picking you in the team or was that causing problems around the dinner table or like
0: it was difficult i got there was a few times when my mum would come in and go you playing tomorrow and i'd go uh no mum he's not he's not picked me oh that bastard <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, so then I'd like go oh, all right, mum. You know, don't mum. It's all right. And then would like, like, you know, don't a cut of potatoes. I'd have, a, I'd have loads. Of <laughs> <laughs> like, and it was, it was fine. But it, you know what? He was protecting me. I played, you know. But he also, he knew what he was doing. He, mm. you know, he knew that once I got into the first team, I think I only started thirteen games for him. Kenny Dalglish then called and uh, he met my dad at a dinner. It was a sports writer's dinner or something like that. I went up to my dad and said, I've heard a lot about your boy. You know, I'd love to sign him. And then, and it, again, an enormous amount of confidence. I, dad came back and told me that night. I remember him waking me up and said, look, you know, Kenny Dalglish spoke to me. sign wow. you." Like, wow, I couldn't believe it. But I was adamant. I said, look, Dad, this is fine. You know, they, wanted, they want me to go up there and, and speak to them. And I go on. I want to go there, but I'm not ready yet. I need to. I want to play in your first team. I want to establish myself, and it it meant a lot to me. I didn't want to go to to Liverpool like everyone else. I wanted to have had some kind of first team experience, and it and it certainly helped me.
2: So you didn't go straight away. You was a few months after that first contact.
0: No, no. I tell you what I did exactly. I went up to. um, I went. I'm not going to call it a trial because the trial it wasn't a trial because they they wanted me to. They just asked me to go. And train. I went up there and stayed with Kenny and his family. And I think I went up there for a week because I was in Bournemouth's first team at the time. I went up and it was just, I couldn't believe it. You know, you got on the bus with all these first team players. I've got John Barnes on my wall uh, in my bedroom, <laughs> and the next thing I'm sitting next to him. <laughs> and it's like, wow. And, you know, just. What was Barnes amazed. like when you signed? Uh, you know, they, say, they always say, Josh, don't meet your heroes. But it was just, he was amazing to me. Because my first day is when I actually signed at Liverpool. So in those days that you used to go. Nowadays the players would get in the car, go to the training ground. But in the, the, the Shankly days, the Boot room days, you used to get on the bus. So you get on the bus, and this old rickety bus. Where you sorry, you'd be at Anfield, mm. you change, and then running around, you just shout this. I think it was like away the noon. So I, I remember my first day thinking, what's that mean? Anyway, everyone then gets up, you walk back up the tunnel, back out, and then there's a bus waiting for you. That's like. It's the, it's the oldest bus you've ever seen. It's not like a, <laughs> a, a really nice one, one that you'd want to get on. Uh, anyway, I get on. So I walk up. Most of the first team are on there first because they come in a slightly slightly quicker direction. I'm in the reserve team dressing room. So John Barnes is sitting there and Ronnie Whelan. And as I'm walking up, I'm just clocking them, Alan Hansen, and I'm like, blowing my mind. These are my heroes. So I go and sit down next to someone. They go, oh, can't sit there, son. That's the Ronnie Whelan's seat. And I go, okay, so I get up. Go to the next seat on the bus. That, you can't sit there. That's Steve McMahon's seat. <laughs> OK, no problem. Anyway, Alan Hansen's seat. They've got me I'm like I'm, a, I'm all over the place. Now I can feel, it's freezing cold. I can feel the beads of sweat coming down my face. Johnny Barnes went, come and sit here, mate. Anyway, I went and sat next to Johnny, and he just went... Don't worry about them. That you're going to get plenty of that because I think because oh. I was a southerner yeah. and he was he was a southerner himself. We've been through it. Although he, he signed obviously when he was a bit more established than I was, but I had the long hair and he was like, "Oh, you you got that some long hair there." I, <laughs> you know, I think he was questioning me, a bit. <laughs> but it was great.
2: Well, you signed on the 15th of January 1991. A month later, Kenny leaves and in comes Graham Sunes, and then suddenly you're in the middle of a big news story and everything's changing. Every like you signed for and now
0: you've got soonest yeah it was mad i mean because uh, my first so the first week i signed kenny actually put me on the bench against wimbledon oh
3: wow so
0: I, I signed on the so i think that was a thursday i signed anyway on the friday i trained with the first team and then kenny said to me come look come and stay at my house that night and uh, you we know, with the marina and the kids and i so i end up staying in the house kelly cakes there you're gonna yeah, Ke- I stayed in Kelly's bed. He wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't there. And the Kelly, they get Kelly out into another room. I'm staying in Kelly's bed. And then, so the next morning, we are, Kenny's taking me to the game and uh, we're, we're at Anfield. And so Kenny reads out the team. In those days, two subs. So, I, I'm, again, I'm still in this awe of what's going on around me, in awe of everyone. And then he, so he names the team, names the subs. So I just get up. And I am just going to walk out in the dressing room. Everyone starts coming up to me and going, oh, congratulations. I'm like, what? They go, you're a sub. I'm
1: like, come
0: <laughs> I not just hear that. I went, I couldn't take my eyes off John Barnes. <laughs> anyway, it works out I was a sub. But unfortunately, I didn't get on because of, it was won all that game. Warren Bar- John Barnes scored and Warren Barton scored about 20 minutes to go. So Kenny was probably just a little bit mm. protective. Mm-hmm. Then a week later, he leaves. And it was like, I couldn't believe it. I've got to be honest. I was gutted, but you know, he, called, he actually called me, which was probably the nicest thing anyone's ever done in football. Because he, when he left, it was one of the biggest, you know, it was the most incredible thing. Yeah. Like, you remember where you were when Kenny left Liverpool. And it, it obviously had a lot of problems, and I, I, I fully understood it. And having had a dad in management, I probably understood it fully more than anyone. But then um, I, I went back to my digs. I'm, I'm saying a family lady called Mrs. Sainsbury. The phone goes, I'm devastated. Anyway, it's Kenny. Just to say, look, Jamie. I just want to just say, what's happened today? Is you're always going to be fine at Liverpool. You know, we've got so much respect for you. You're, you're going to be a great player. Uh, look, tomorrow, I know you haven't travelled with the first team, but tomorrow I'm going to play. I'm playing golf at Hillside, which is his course. He said, "Let's go and have 18 holes together after training, and we'll have a good chat." And I'm thinking, this guy is going through probably wow. absolute hell in his mind. He's left the biggest job in in, in football he still had the time to call me and it just shows tells you every single thing you need to know about the man
3: yeah wow. uh, he's I, I don't know anyone that doesn't his people speak so well of him don't they he's just such kind of inspiring guy he
0: went through so much at liverpool people forget you know he went to i think every single funeral yeah you know, for all those people at hillsborough you can imagine he was in a you could, you know, nothing compared to the families yeah. who had lost their loved ones but that that sense of Togetherness and and Kenny putting himself out to go to every funeral to just help the families, that little just to try to make it as easy as possible. And it only—I don't know how many years ago he got a knighthood, but you know, there's people getting knighthoods for things, you know, or or honors from the from the Queen. Kenny only got one a year or two ago for his services and what he's done to football. Yeah. incredible that it took so long for people to acknowledge what he did. Um, maybe a less
2: celebrated Liverpool managerial reign came next under Graham Souness. And obviously got a reputation as a strict disciplinarian. Very intimidating man. I heard a story that he used to do topless press-ups in front of the first team just to kind of intimidate, intimidate you and bring a bit more out of you. Is that is that true? <laughs> He did.
0: That's the first time yeah, he loved it. He couldn't wait to get his top. But the first time I said he did it, he had he's just after he had his heart bypass. So he walked in and he's got he's got a, like a scar all the way down here. And he just got out and just like polished off a quick like twenty five press ups and just got up, just like sweat glistening, and it was like you know, one of them, you know what I mean? It's, like what do you say? What do you say to that? Graham Souness is in front of you doing topless press ups. And uh, yeah, was, it was quite. Bizarre,
3: was he a scary. But... like, So when he, when he arrives, what was he like? I know, obviously, now you, you kind of. But...
0: I'm still scared.
3: To <laughs> <laughs> do
2: topless press ups before you go on air. I'll do for Sunday. Got, yeah,
3: <laughs> what, what was he like when he came in then? Was it, did he like, have that fear factor completely?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Everyone was scared stiff of him because of, his, obviously, his history, uh, of what he'd done at the club. He was one of the best midfield players the club's ever seen. So, yeah, I think there was a bit of a fear factor in, involved with Graham. And I think he'd tell you, i so I need to talk out of turn. And he, you know, Graham got, you know, he tried to change things too quickly. And you had the old guard there of players that were just coming to the end. He was trying to bring through the likes of Robbie, myself. Steve McMahon was a brilliant plan, maker and then the old players it's like you had to do things gradually he wanted to get rid of that boot room he wanted to get the, the story i told about the bus he didn't want that so he wanted to make things turn things into the modern era a lot of fans didn't want that a lot of ex-players didn't like it and and it it, it, it didn't work out for Graham as a manager. It's a shame because I think it could have been brilliant for the club. I mean, was it? That these things happen. Is
2: it a big ask, isn't it? That old guard—they really ruled the roost as you experienced on the, on the bus and the, those amazing young players coming through. It's a tough job for anybody, isn't it?
0: Yeah, because and also the, the greats were coming to the end. You know, that McMahon and Whelan and, and Stevie Nichol that have been so good for the club were just starting to get maybe slightly older, and they were brilliant players and great characters. So Graham realised he had to change things, but it had to be done gradually and and maybe did it a little bit too quickly. But, I mean, he gave me my debut. I was, you know, he gave my debut at 18 years of age playing against the He gave me my Premier League, or actually League Division I debut at the time. So I owe Graham an enormous amount of gratitude because of what he did for me. He got quite,
3: you know, there was elements of he brought in Julian Dix, there was Neil Ruddock, there was kind of... Hard man, he liked a hard player, like a kind of um, tough players.
0: I think that's why we got on so
1: well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Saw a lot of him. I like the way you. you laugh. So you love. Laugh. <laughs> I promised if I played now, I would be a modern day kid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, you think it's funny.
3: <laughs> That was the first half of Jamie Redknapp, who had so much good stuff to say uh, that we have split it into two. So if you want to listen to the second half, It's there waiting
1: for you where you listen to your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease.